This is the fear of science. Welcome, everyone, to the Fear of Science, the show that dives into the wide world of science topics to demystify, debunk, and delight. Each show features a new science fear with special guests and more surprises along the way. Today, we're very excited because we are coming to you live from the first ever Vancouver Podcast Festival happening right here at Vancouver Public Library, Vancouver, British Columbia. And for such a momentous occasion, we're excited to be here with some special guests who we're going to meet very shortly. Of course, my name is Daniel Chai, co-host of Fear of Science. And I'm your other co-host, Jeff Porter. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you, everybody, for coming out. I At Thursday at uh, 11 o'clock in the morning, I was really expecting, I would, I would have been happy with five people. But we've got almost a full theater. It's not bad. Not bad at all. This is a beautiful space at the Vancouver Public Library. If you're listening and located anywhere close to Vancouver, please come on down and check it out. Lots of great stuff happening here. Yeah. And joining us for today's episode, which is called Fear of Getting Caught, something we all have a fear of. Uh, we have two special guests. Uh, please share yourselves with our listeners and with our live audience. All right. Well, my name is Elizabeth Peterson, and I am the curator at the Vancouver Police Museum and Archives. But more importantly, I'm a huge crime buff, which sounds really bad now that I say it. But <laughs> I know there's a lot of people here, so you also must be crime buffs as well, hopefully, or at least science people. Right, my name is Andrew Lynch. I'm an actor and comedian. I also uh, produce the or co-produce the um, live show and podcast Geeks vs. Nerds. Uh, that's a we do a pop culture comedy debates basically. Like for example, upcoming next Saturday the 17th, we're debating Ebenezer Scrooge versus George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life, whose supernatural Christmas experience had a more positive effect on their town. And the opening debate for that is the Flash versus Tracer for who would make a better replacement for Santa Claus. <laughs> Yes, uh, uh, very fun stuff. And speaking, of course, of The Flash, uh, of course, a superhero who fights crime, uh, let's dive right into today's episode, uh, which is, of course, again, fear of getting caught. Yeah. Um, and so on the, the fear of science, every episode, we kind of start off with what is the fear? So to the, for this episode, we're going to be looking at uh, why do people fear the police? Oh. Well, why do certain people fear the police? Yeah, yeah, true. As a, as, a, as a heterosexual white male, <laughs> haven't run into it a lot. Uh, but you know, uh, uh, you know, I will admit for myself, if I'm driving and I see, uh, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, if I'm driving and if I see a police car uh, next to me, I will go five below the speed limit. <laughs> I'm sure annoying everybody and the police officer. Uh, you know, and uh, and I'll, uh, I have a uh, help that, you know, I do, of course, re respect the police for, for all the hard work that they do. Um, and uh, But at the same time, you know, if I see a police officer, I uh, always make sure that I'm being extra, uh, extra legal. <laughs> I'm nervous to jaywalk around the cops because I've seen them ticket people for jaywalking. Yes. And so it's totally safe sometimes. Uh, so, so uh, uh, Elizabeth, in your, uh, in, with your expertise, why are people... Uh, afraid of afraid of authority. Well, I think it kind of goes with like a lot of institutions have had not 
the best like history. There's a lot of corruption that goes around and stuff, and like the police, especially nowadays, not necessarily the VPD at all, but I mean, like what's going on in the states and everything. There's a lot of disconcern about the police, and a lot of that has to do with I think they are an area of authority. They do have weapons that are not allowed to other people, and they are someone we have to trust. You know, you may not know who they are, and that's kind of scary. You know, you have to trust someone you do not personally know with like your life at times and keep your city safe. So I can understand why mistrust happens. And it's up to the VPD or like other officers to kind of like, I don't know, make friends with the public and to do outreach programs. I wonder if it's a, I wonder if it's almost like an evolutionary, uh, evolutionary trait that we become afraid of police and other authorities. I'm afraid of spiders because spiders uh, can kill me with a bite. <laughs> like we used to be afraid of the Flintstone era cops. And they had the, they had their like togas and their like sirens and their clubs. Um, but uh, but for for us on the panel, uh, is anybody here uh, uh, like? You know, I always like to ask, and, and uh, maybe we'll see with our audience as well. Is anyone here, like, uh, the fear of, do we have an innate fear of getting caught, even though we haven't done anything wrong? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. But I have done things wrong. <laughs> well, like, we you know, when, I, when I'm like, eh, I save money by just getting on the beeline. But I've also been caught a couple of times and it really sucks. <laughs> uh, if you're uh, authorities, if you're listening, his name is Andrew Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> I've already paid a lot of tickets. <laughs> No, well, I like work with a lot of police officers, right? And every time they come into our off and like into our buildings, I know these guys. They're really sweet, but I always instantly feel a little like, oh shoot, did I did I do something? Did I miss Park or did I yeah. do something wrong? I always feel like I did something wrong, and I've never done anything wrong except for that one time. Now, uh, so like, oh, I, I oh, didn't crap, get caught. <laughs> you're like, oh crap, they're here. Oh, oh no, wait, they're gonna I work get at me. the police museum. <laughs> right, That's can't do anything here. wrong. But every time I like, see them and they're gonna, I think they're gonna pull me over. I'm like, oh crap, I'm gonna know who they are. They're gonna know my name and tell my parents. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> now, uh, so. Elizabeth, in your work with police officers, do police officers, uh, and uh, do we have any police officers in the audience? I believe if you are They're a police here. officer, you have to tell yeah. us. That's called, a, <laughs> it's called Undercover work. Undercover but, work. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Elizabeth, in your, in your work with police officers, uh, do police officers know that they have this effect on people? And Oh, yes, they do. And they try to make you as calm as possible. They, like, joke with us and stuff. They definitely know it. But I think they, like, some of them think it's kind of funny. So they kind of mess with your mind sometimes if they know you. And that can get really, it's not nice. <laughs> but they know I'm nervous and they can like, kind of play with them. They're like, no, we know you didn't do anything wrong. You're fine. You're like, okay, thanks. <laughs> but they, def they definitely know. They know. <laughs> Perfect. So uh, uh, in terms of the, the science portion of, of being, uh, uh, you know, fear of science and fear of getting caught, uh, you know, for um, when it comes to police forensics and say at the with the police museum and lots of uh, lots of the great exhibits that you guys have at the Vancouver Police Museum, uh, how important is are, are things is science to police work and to say catching someone? I think it's very vital, especially in recent years. Um, it's a part of their everyday work. Uh, the average officer does go through uh, aspects of like police science. They know about the forensics. They know the basics. Um, and they work directly with forensics um, scientists when they're talking about different types of crimes, um, all the way from like burglary to the more kind of the murder cases that they work on. So it's very much a part of it. It's ingrained in the system. 
Uh, by the way, this is now the point, by the way, those who are listening to our live podcast, when it's being released in a few months, uh, feel free to also put up your hand. But for those of us joining us here in the, this beautiful theater at Vancouver Public Library, at any time during our live podcast, if you have a question, please raise your hand. We'll notice uh, and we will come to get some of your questions. We'd love to hear from you as well. And if you're listening to it uh, via the podcast, then you can also raise your hand and ask a question. <laughs> We just can't answer it. Yeah. Um, awesome. Now, uh, uh, currently at the Vancouver Police Museum. So for those who may not know, what is the Vancouver Police Museum? So the Vancouver Police Museum is uh, probably, it's been dubbed actually uh, the world's most unique police museum. Uh, we are not your standard kind Take of... Take that, Boston. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, we're quite proud of our little selves. We are a nonprofit organization. Uh, that means that we are not funded by the VPD or any policing. We are a group of individuals that are self-funded. Uh, we get our funding through grants and admissions. And we're really lucky because um, where the police museum is housed is we're housed in the old coroner's, uh, court, uh, coroner's services offices as well as the Sydney Analyst Lab, which opened in 1932 and was used until about, it was the corner services until 1980, and then the city analysts moved out in 1996. So the building itself is really unique. We have restored the autopsy suite, the morgue, we talk about true crime, and we really look at the history of Vancouver through a, poli through a policing and forensics lens. We're looking at what was going on in the community, and then how did the police and the forensics teams kind of respond to those different aspects. Uh, we talk a lot about our little building, and I could go on and on about it, yeah. but it was um, really built by a man by the name of John Vance, who was really one of the very first forensic scientists in all North America. I can talk nice. more about that later awesome. on, I guess. <laughs> but he's my hero, so I can talk forever oh, on him. That's so cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and actually, so one thing I want to ask as well is um, the importance of, of DNA and forensic and just how, because we want to bring some of the kind of pop culture into it as well. Right. So when you're watching a show like um, CSI or any of those crime shows, how much of that is actually real? Because I know for me as a graphic designer, um, my biggest annoyance is when they, they have the photo or the, the video footage and they say enhance and they zoom in. And I'm, oh yeah, you I can't just actually yell do at that. the TV. That's yeah, they pinch the screen. <laughs> That's really frustrating, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's actually a really good point. Um, we get a lot of filming in our museum, which is kind of fun. And it's great because I get to talk to the actors. And the actors always make this comment because they're looking through our museum and looking at all the different people involved in the investigation from one crime. And they go, wow, my character does all of that. And you get all this and we get all this information with like 24 hours. In reality, uh, you have a huge teams of people working on one single take case. One of the big things that they mess up is um, when they do the autopsies for like murder, like on CSI. Mm. Uh, so in, it, it's really dependent. Autopsies are done by the coroner services, um, and they're often done in here in Vancouver. They're done at the Vancouver City Morgue, one of the places. And you have pathologists working with a team of technicians who are different from the actual coroner. And so that is kind of. A little bit different, I think, in CSI. I've actually never seen CSI. I should what? probably watch CSI. I get this question a lot. I feel like you don't need to be a forensic scientist to know how inaccurate it is. <laughs> yes, really <I> do. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I think one of the biggest things that I've been told by the actors in those kind of shows is that they are just, uh, they think it's kind of funny. They're like, gosh, if my character was actually doing all this work, they would never sleep. 
And that's basically it true, yeah. You need to look up on YouTube um, CSI Cyber, um, yeah. some of the inaccuracies that they've, they've done the clips of. My favorite is that they have a hacking scene where they have two people using one keyboard at the same time hacking. <laughs> where you're just like, why? That's not possible. science. It doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> I recommend going to hackertyper.com and just what it is, if you just mash keys, it makes it look like you're hacking something. Oh, yeah. It's really fun. <laughs> For, for for a minute and then you'll get bored but yeah. it's fun oh that's hilarious um cool um so your feature exhibit that you have right now um at the police museum is true crime and uh i wanted to kind of ask everybody here um well everybody on the panel not necessarily the entire audience here um what is the craziest crime or just thing in general that you've seen happen in Vancouver. Um, at personally Angle, seen? Like, personally personally seen? seen. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll end it on Elizabeth because she'll probably have a more historical, actual crazy story. But just in general, what have you guys seen? Oh, uh, this, uh, uh, I witnessed something. It was, uh, it was last year and it was at a, it was at a grocery store that was located near the, the Canby uh, Canada Line Skytrain station. And so uh, I, I know this story can go one of two ways. <laughs> uh, so um, so the, the store basically had the, the security gate down, but someone had broken it and like forced it open and the alarm was going off. And there was there was a guy who was just stuffing uh, just like just stuffing groceries into into a garbage bag. And so uh, me and a few others, we were yelling, you know, like, hey, to get his attention and but uh, he he looked at us and then he just kept putting groceries in and I maybe it was the crowd mentality and also like uh, for myself I wasn't sure what to do in that situation but we got his attention and so I guess he stopped what he was doing and then he got out and then he carried his bags his bag of groceries away and then he went into the skytrain <laughs> uh, and I'm wondering maybe he maybe he had a compass card and he was able to tap in but um but it was it was fascinating because I, I during that situation i realized that um that i didn't know what to do like am i supposed you know like should i have physically stopped him you know should i have done anything more you know more to be like hey put that down do i uh grab the bag from him right like it's uh <laughs> Yeah, so it was that was my that was my superhero moment, and I failed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so yeah, that that was. But it it definitely stuck with me as being as um, being something where I I didn't know what to do. So mm -hmm. I used to work at a liquor store, um, so I've seen a lot of shoplifting. Uh, and I got threatened an awful lot, but they never went through with it. And as the liquor store employee, I was kind of disappointed they didn't because I was like, it's it's really sad to think about. But I was like, wow, if this guy goes crazy and punches me, I get to go home. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably get workers comp. But if he does it outside the liquor store, I don't. I just get punched. And I don't want to get punched. But I've had guys be like, hey, hey, and I won't, uh, you know, it's I'll keep the adult language now. But basically just like threaten, like they're going to clock me in the face as I'm behind the thing. And now I can't provoke them. But I don't want to discourage them from hitting me because I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
a lot of th- they're really brazen when they shoplift though because they know you can't do anything yeah right. <laughs> they, they, they know you're not going to stop them oh, yeah. physically and i know i wouldn't it's not my money it's not my liquor uh to the point where they just like walk in sup i'm about to shoplift taking this and they walk out well and yeah. i and you know i think we uh you know we as citizens and as employees we get told by our boss to let it go it's not worth it and you know even in the situation where i saw someone you know steal some groceries from a grocery store there was a part of me it's like you know i don't want to get stabbed i don't want to you know over some broccoli yeah it's just it's the, all about yeah, and it's not uh, even your broccoli yeah <laughs> it was my uh, broccoli maybe yeah. but you know. but but again but ask but being a good citizen and being a you know an, an upstanding member of society i of course realized that what he was doing was wrong but i didn't know um, yeah, what to do? Yeah, I think I think for me as well. I I worked in retail for a long time. Uh, There's a lot of retail crime. But yeah, that's retail crime. Yeah, yeah. You can tell what we're really into. We're we're really horrible citizens that work retail jobs. Wow, well, uh, a true crime podcast about retail shoplifting. Uh, <laughs> it's a serious thing. Ooh. Serious offense. Uh, I worked at I worked at a uh, Rogers Video. Uh, oh, I did too. Fun. Nice. In what's, what's a Rogers video? <laughs> yeah, yeah um, exactly. Renting videos? It was before <laughs> Netflix for all you young people. Um, but yeah, I, I worked at a Rogers video in Kamloops for a very long time when I was going to university. Late fees. Oh, yeah. And, what uh, a crime. We used to have so many people steal, especially video games, uh, just grab them from the rack. And there was one time where, where somebody came, grabbed like 20 video games off the rack and just booked it out the door. And uh, and I remember that that it's that fight or flight. Like, what right. would you do? Yeah. And you know what I did? Uh, nothing. I did nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my coworker, um, who apparently does not have the same reaction as me, uh, booked it after him and ended up tackling the guy to the ground and actually started beating him up and got the got the the disc back. And, and it was uh, like Madden 2003. It was like, yeah, oh, exactly, man, yeah. all that not, from Madden 03. Yeah, not even 03 at that oh, point. So <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but he got him back, and, you know, he comes back as this kind of champion being like, I got our merchandise back. I saved us 200 bucks. And, uh, and he got reprimanded so badly yep. from management for doing it because they're like, we've got insurance for this stuff. Right. Like, we don't have insurance for if that guy fought back and stabbed you, we have no way of covering that. Like, that's really bad. Oh, so, so sad. Did you hear that? It's a victimless crime to steal video games from <laughs> Roger's video. Yeah. Please don't steal from Roger's video. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> um, and, uh, Wouldn't want to steal from Roger's. <laughs> oh. And, and for yourself, Elizabeth, it was have you pers- have you uh, witnessed the crime? Have yeah, you- actually, you guys are funny talking about flight or flight to fri- uh, fight and f- or flight. Um, I haven't really witnessed that many crimes in Vancouver per se, which is strange because I live in the downtown east side, uh, right near Hastings Street, which you would think um, a few a few like thefts and stuff. But um, I actually ran after a thief in Ethiopia uh, when I was like 22 years old. It's probably the dumbest thing I've ever done and the most amazing thing I've ever done. So like, nice. I don't know if I should tell that story or tell I know it's the subject of Vancouver. Okay. So I just can't, you Vancouver. Can't, you can't be like, it's the dumbest and most amazing thing I ever done, <laughs> but I'm not going to tell <laughs> you. <laughs> moving on. Yeah. It's going, moving on. Um, so I, uh, I, do, I did my PhD work in Ethiopia and it was my first visit there. It was like a young 23 year old. And for those of you who can't see me, I look like I'm 12. I, I'm a girl. I was uh, first day in Ethiopia. I was wearing a skirt, toasting on the veranda with a friend and she had her bag by her chair and a thief ran up and uh, grabbed 
grabbed the bag and sprinted off. So instead of doing the smart thing, a new kid, brand new in a new country, in a foreign country, don't know the rules or regulations, uh, you would usually just stay put and go get management. No, I decided to take off. I jumped off the friend. I went sprinting down this really busy street in Ethiopia, yelling at the top of my lungs, thief, thief, stop, he's got my bag. It's not my bag. And like I have the entire street stops. They're all native Ethiopians stop, look at me, look at the thief, and then the entire street run, goes running after the thief. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. I was like, wow. okay, I guess they understand. Because like, wait, because it, it ran in my head. I was like, I'm yelling in English. None of these people speak English, but they all kind of kind of understood what I was saying. And they go sprinting off this guy. And then, so I start slowing down. I'm like, I probably look ridiculous. And these two guys from the veranda who happen to be um, local, um, I don't know, they're judges or I guess, I don't know what they were exactly. There's someone at the court. They come running off, grab me. They're like, stop, stop. Don't go after him. They'll get him. Don't worry. Let's go to the police station. So we're like, okay. So I grab my friend. We go to the police station. The guy had got caught. Um, this kid had climbed up the fence with this guy. So he was climbing, grabbed him. A huge knife fell out of the guy's pocket. So the guy was armed. So if I had caught him, I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, just tackling my skirt. I don't know. But anyways, uh, it was really interesting. So we get, yeah, so we got the first time. Real hero. <laughs> But it was actually kind of a selfish act. I wasn't doing it for my friend. I was doing it because she had her passport in there. And the first thing that came to mind was like, I do not want to go to spend hours at the U.S. Embassy <laughs> waiting right. for a passport. My first day in Ethiopia. Plus, I have a really bad head cold. So it was really, really selfish. But it was great because we get to the to the police station. And this is kind of the difference between like police forces in different countries. Um, we get there and the two, oh, there were lawyers. That's what they were. The two lawyers are talking like, don't worry, he'll get a fair trial. And then there was like yelling going off in the distance. With the, there's a whole crowd of people surrounding this thief. And they're yelling. And the guy goes, no, we're not going to cut off his hands. And I was like, holy moly, what? is this poor guy going to get his hands cut off? Uh, ends up he gets two, like, two full years in a hard prison in like the south of Ethiopia, which I've been to those prisons, and they're horrific. So I feel kind of bad, actually. I feel like he could have just taken it. There was nothing there but the, the passport. He wouldn't have gotten anything. You want to chase after me? Like, that's fine. You can have my bag. Just please throw the passport. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just just give me the passport so we do not have You can keep the bag. It's worth nothing. I'm sorry. Um, but then I kind of felt kind of bad. So it's kind of like, a, oh, shoot, I feel really bad for this poor man who's probably like hungry and just trying to get some money. So I felt horrible after well, that, actually. Um, it's so, the moral dilemma of being a superhero. It was a serious moral <laughs> dilemma, honestly. Yeah, if, but if that young man is listening uh we're sorry we're yeah for yeah i am so sorry I, he's out of prison hopefully now and so i'm sure um, he's a big fan of the fear of science yeah, he's, he, definitely he's probably like that crazy friend well the funny thing is the next year when i went back everyone knew who i was you're like you're that crazy friend you ran after that guy with a knife and i was like yeah that's uh, what i'm known for now and he had a sababa is that crazy blonde friendy you got that tough reputation i now. really <laughs> do street cred going I on do. In let me tell you yeah. let me tell you that's how you got the job at the police museum exactly oh, yeah, that's the person exactly. that I know to take down those bad guys. It wasn't that bad guy. Poor oh, man. that was you? Honestly. <laughs> 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 well, well, just arrest yeah. me now. <laughs> but yeah, so anyways, that's my story about catching a thief. It was kind of fun. Wow, your story was so much better than all yeah. of ours. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or stupid, honestly. Don't go around after thieves. That's what the police always tell my parents. Like, you did what? You should just stay put. And I was like, well, it's fine. It's all cool. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, and the best part of stories like that, nobody really got hurt. No. I hope not. <laughs> uh, except that guy. <laughs> now, uh, so uh, closer to home, uh, and again, so the Vancouver Police Museum uh, has lots of great exhibits, and one of my favorite exhibits that I that I enjoy at the Vancouver Police Museum is, of course, the the true crime uh, yes. exhibits of Vancouver crime. And of course, uh, there are lots of great true crime podcasts, and some are going to be featured at uh, the Vancouver Podcast Fest, which we're uh, super excited to take in th at this year's inaugural Vancouver Podcast Fest. Uh, is there, uh, uh, Elizabeth, and maybe for, uh, uh, what's like a, 
what's a true crime Vancouver story that you can share with us? Like, say, something beyond uh, stealing video games. Like, what's um, what's a true crime which, Vancouver which story? Which is a crime that was true. So. That's yeah, true. true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't think it's in the museum, though, that story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not yet. We could do a special <laughs> exhibit. It'd be awesome. Anyways, uh, yeah, there's loads of... Uh, actually, Vancouver has... Ama- sounds really bad. They have some amazing, crazy crimes that would go on. Because uh, Vancouver is the Wild West for so long in Canada. Um, so a lot of, like, unlawful things happened here. Right. And we have so much documentary of it. And uh, so how... D- what, uh, what is the history of the police in Vancouver? Like, is there... Um, like, was there always a police force? Uh, how did it get created how the vancouver police department or its predecessor i'll give you like the quick little story of how it got started it's actually my one of my favorite stories so vancouver started as a lot of people know in 1886 uh two months becoming a city it burnt to the ground um (laughs) within that two months before burning to the ground uh the city had decided to hire one man by the name of john stewart he was a one-man police officer and they also hired a man by the name of john clout to be the jailer funny little tidbit about John Clough, he was one armed man, and he spent as much time out of jail as he did in jail. So he was a very, very happy, uh, whiskey-loving kind of guy. And so he, uh, they thought, figured, hey, you know, he's in jail all the time anyway. Why don't we just actually keep him in jail? And then a little fun little tidbit about John Klaus. He was the first person to receive a pension from the city of Vancouver. Yeah, <laughs> bonus trivia. Yeah. So anyway, so we had one man force until after the fire. And so after the fire, what happened was, well, I guess go back. During the fire, everyone took their most prized possession, which happened to be whiskey, and threw them into the threw the barrels of whiskey into the broad inlet to save it from the fire. Well, after the fire, a lot of fights broke out as to like who owned what whiskey, and so the mayor kind of grabbed three guys whose businesses had just burnt to a crisp and said, "Hey, you guys are now police officers. Go help John Clout break up the." break up the fights and go get those whiskey barrels so it's really basically how the police force started because whiskey and uh, one-armed jail wow so welcome to vancouver whiskey saves the day it's always whiskey in the end yeah <laughs> welcome to vancouver but yeah so that's kind of how it started and wow. it grew bigger and bigger as uh, vancouver grew very very quickly as a city once you got the railroad here and yeah now we're a force of 1,800, I guess, of actual officers, uh, which actually isn't a lot for the size of city that we yeah, have and the amount of crime like we actually lot. have. Yeah. It's not that many, honestly. I feel kind of bad for them. They're really overworked, <laughs> but they're wonderful men and women who work on the force now. So, yeah. One of the things I love um, about uh, when I was researching this as well, I found out that about uh, John Vance, and you mentioned yes. him very, <laughs> very briefly before, and I want to talk about him bef- as well. Uh, he's actually been dubbed as Canada's Sherlock Holmes. Uh, yes, him and a few other individuals I've been told recently. But yes, he was one of the very first forensic scientists in all of North America. And actually, his lab, the one that we have, was one of the very first like dedicated forensic labs in the nation. That's crazy. I know. And yeah, the, just the, the fact that uh, there's actually a great book as well um, written by uh, Eve, I'm going to say your last name wrong. Lazarus. Lazarus, uh, <laughs> called Blood, Sweat, and Fear, which is, is kind of the, the history of, of John Vance as well. Um, but yeah, it's incredible that we have such a kind of historic character just from the city. Oh yeah, and he was so neat. Like, at, like a lot of people in Vancouver in general don't know who who John Vance was, but at his time, he was working as a city analyst from 1904 until about 1949. He was a household name, and he had people like sending him death threats. So if you look at any newspapers from the 30s and the 40s, he was often featured on the cover. So he was like a big name guy, but he was such a cool person because he was really the first to really put 
forensics and using science to help solve crime in all of North America, really. He was being used by the RCMP. He was, he was actually contracted with the VPD originally um, and was, ended up being the head of their Bureau of Police Sciences. Um, but yeah, he was really the guy who got everything started and he really solved some of Vancouver's most famous cases, actually. So why would he get death threats? Uh, because people didn't want him solving the cases. <laughs> so ah, he got lots of death criminals. threats. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I talked to his family members, and they remember one person in particular remembers being a kid and sitting in the car, and his dad and um, her, uh, John Vance was her uh, uncle. Uh, he was getting out, and someone shot the car and shot the back seat. Like, the bullet went through the back seat. She's in the seat next to him where he'd just gotten out. And this is right in front of uh, 240 East Cordova, where the museum is. Um, and then he would get, like, bomb threats all the time. And he's just kind of, that's how it is. People didn't want me to solve crime because he was solving murder cases a lot of bank robberies mostly bank robberies because uh, vancouver had a huge issue of like um bank robberies robbers blowing up safes believe it or not really? it was a big thing yeah blowing up safe safe blowing it was That's a big so deal like i feel like i've only ever seen that in comic books i know it was a huge <laughs> thing it was like a big it deal bomb voyage <laughs> It was great. No, like it was John Vance's job too to go and like kind of disarm the safe too. And can you imagine? Like he would, he'd show up to these places just as like doctor bag in hand, nitroglycerin, kind of test it. Yep, nitroglycerin, take it off, and that's that. So uh-huh. we've got a lot of safes in our in our collection that are like blown up safes. And there's one in particular that sits in our sits in our uh, staff room, and it has a sign on it to this day that says, "Be cautious, could possibly blow up." What? And so we've not touched it because we don't actually know what's in it. Oh, <laughs> we just kind of left it there. It's kind of a fun little oddity. So what, at what point did safe manufacturers go, hmm, we should probably make our safes non-blow-uppable? Yeah, you would make you wonder. I mean, as soon as they would do that, the, the robbers would come up with something else to try and do it. But the other thing is, like, the safes are actually pretty sturdy, so they wouldn't necessarily blow up, but the rest of the place around the safe would blow up. And so there was actually a few cases where someone was, uh, when a, uh, they would be stumbled upon by the night watchman, and the poor watchman would get blown up. Which what? is not a nice oh. way to go. Yeah, yeah, a few of those the cases. Money stayed in the safe. <laughs> <laughs> I have this vision of these like the safes blowing up and money flying everywhere. I'm like, that doesn't seem very good. But apparently, it was a big thing. Go figure. Yeah, it's like a cartoon. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, so I'm gonna ask everybody else before I ask Elizabeth, um, because I feel like she'll actually know the answer to this. Um, <laughs> but I'm gonna ask everyone. So, what does everyone think the most oh. important historic change that that happened to forensic sciences. What do you think really You're changed? You're asking me what I think the most <laughs> yes. important historic change <laughs> that happened to forensic sciences. I think Andrew will know the answer. <laughs> um, the, the invention of uh, bone <laughs> dust. Bone I'm dust? Just Sorry, bone words. Dust. I don't know. Somebody else talk. Why are you asking me this uh, question? <laughs> Um, I I would say uh, uh, most important historic change that happened in forensic science. I would say maybe two, uh, and I, I don't know if this qualifies as forensic science, but the whoever figured out that fingerprints are are uh, unique to to everyone and uh, and realizing oh hey white powder oh hey we can track people's fingerprints that way. Um, and then along the same line, as well as the fingerprints and also whoever discovered that everyone's DNA was, uh, was unique. And, uh, and again, realizing that, um, you know, DNA and forensics uh, for like in, in a court is 
much tougher than what we see on Law and Order or CSI. But again, realizing both, hey, fingerprints and DNA um, specific to uh, to ourselves. That powder could have been bone dust. It could have been <laughs> bone dust. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the answer is bone dust. Um, I think my, and I don't know if this is necessarily, I guess it, it is science in a way. Um, I think photography probably would have changed forensic mm. science, science a lot. These are such obvious answers. Now I feel like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, geeks versus nerds, check it out. <laughs> I believe they use bone dust in photography, so I think yeah. you're pretty much the same thing. It's when the light bulb explodes. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> bone dust. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but why do you say photography, uh, Jeff? I think that, um, yeah, just beforehand, I would imagine that if you went to a crime scene, you'd have to rely so much on the memory of the people who were there. <laughs> and I feel like there would be a lot of human error in that. Oh, we got someone from the audience who has a guess. Luminol. Oh. Right. That, that light, mm -hmm. right? The... Right. Oh, interesting. Okay. Luminol. All right. So to you, Elizabeth, what do you think is the best answer? All right. That's a good question. It's actually bone dust. Oh, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm afraid actually not bone dust. I'm sorry. Uh, it is. Uh, that's a really tough question, actually. But I'm going to have to go with actually fingerprinting. Oh. And the reason for Point that is fingerprinting actually was the first time you could actually directly connect someone to being a part of a crime or having direct contact with something that was part of that crime. Uh, the blood uh, analysis is actually really interesting because we've been able to identify human blood for a very long time since the early uh, turn of the century, uh, late in the 1800s. You could collect stuff that looked like blood and test for human hemoglobin. Um, I can't ever say the word. Um, pretty early on, and actually Vance used to do that a lot, which is kind of exciting. It's a really quick case of a lot of that. Anyways, I digress. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so fingerprinting was a huge change. And the first time fingerprinting was really used uh, in a police force was in uh, South America. I can't remember where off the top of my head. It was to identify a murder in the late 1890s. Um, and then finally you get what's developed was the uh, um, Henry system, which is what we know now as like the loops, the whorls, you might have heard about as a kid, and actually starting to stand, like, take criminals' fingerprintings and create cards, and so that you would keep that on record, because odds are if a criminal commits a crime once, they're probably going to commit it again. So Scotland Yard in England was the first one to start really taking those, tracking it, and they actually created a whole, um, a whole section that was devoted to fingerprinting that then almost all police forces have now take on. Um, and then DNA, believe it or not. Uh, so DNA was a huge game changer because it was another way. Because fingerprinting, you still relied a lot on the human error. So you had to rely on the officers or the trained technicians who would look and compare the fingerprints and try to identify the crime scene fingerprints with known fingerprint samples. Where DNA, you, you can't fake it. It's your DNA is your Yet. DNA. Um, and so DNA fingerprinting is now becoming extremely important in all forensic cases. Though you do not rely solely on DNA to solve a crime. You have to have other lines of evidence, um, such as fingerprints. Right. So. It'd be hard to catch that guy who took your purse, though, because he got his hands cut I off. I know, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, why would you cut off a guy's hands? You would lose the fingerprints, I guess, right? Yeah. You couldn't even you track him again. Everywhere. I know. Nuts <laughs> to, take, to take the passport now. Oh, dear. But yeah, so that's what I'd say, definitely. Uh, now, a question that I, um, you know, to uh, uh, inspired, of course, by the podcast festival, uh, the inaugural one happening here in Vancouver. Uh, 
Why are so true crime podcast? We have true crime podcast fans here. Anybody uh, listen to yeah. true crime? Yeah, well, fans. Um, and I, I listen to a few, and I, I know that we we all do. Um, why is a uh, uh, podcast? When people think of podcasts, a lot of people think of true crime podcasts as being one of the definitive uh, styles of podcasts. Similar like television shows, you think of sitcoms. Uh, so why is true crime? Uh, so fascinating. Why are we all so en- uh, enamored with uh, with the subject? Mm. Uh, from from anybody here, really? Yeah. I think this is actually something that I'm so interested in. I do a lot of looking into and researching because I think our our fascination with crime and true crime in particular dates back to early early years. I mean, you can look at text. People were always recording it. Uh, Roman times, all the way to uh, the very British murders that um, they would. P- put in the newspapers and people would be following these these murders in the Victorian time and writing into the police force trying to be like I guess it's this person this person so we've always had this fascination of wanting to participate in solving these mysteries but also wanting to know more about them and I think that's part of the drive of a crime podcast is like our modern day newspaper tracking the crimes that happen or finding out about the crimes and I think it's just like our, we're just fascinated. It's, it's also we're removed from it. We don't know these people. So it doesn't actually emotionally change us, but something that's out of our ordinary lives. So it's a safe way to explore something that's kind of dark and mysterious. Right. Yeah. I hear that uh, Sherlock Holmes series is getting popular as well now. I love Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Sherlock. <laughs> Who? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's new. There's so many, so many <laughs> versions. Yeah. Cool. Good or do to, you think uh, it's like. Are people have a morbid curiosity of like, would this happen to me? That's like sensationalist true. news style, like it oh, yeah. could happen to your kids. <laughs> Do you work at Rogers Video? <laughs> um, is there a, a actually another question? Uh, is there how how regular how often do. Uh, uh, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but like um, cr- like crime mimics. You know, when people see like see a crime or hear about a crime, then they go out copycat and copycat killers. Copycat, right. like yeah. our copycat crimes. Uh, do uh, are they? Is that a real thing uh, in the study of crime? I, from what I've read on it, I think it is, um, but it's not. It's harder to detect, especially if you haven't caught the other killer. Um, so then you're kind of left like um, the most famous one is the uh, Ripper, uh, the uh, back in England in the Victorian era. Um, there was a lot. There's still to this day a lot of questions. Was it really one person? Was there a copycat person as well involved in that? And there's a lot of really hard things to tell. But there's certain lines of evidence that you can identify. And if you have the person, you know the person, you, can, you kind of like separate the two. Um, also, the copycat's not necessarily always as successful. But I wonder if there's ever been a um, a copycat podcast killer, someone who <laughs> listens to my favorite murder and then just reenacts all of the my favorite murder. Oh my gosh, that would be such a good book. Yeah. <laughs> Our rival podcast, Dweebs versus Poindexter, is really <laughs> eating at us. I'd watch that movie. That would be my so. If I would ever do like a podcast about mur- like my favorite murder kind of stuff, I would be like so terrified someone would come after me to murder me like that. That'd be my big terror, I think. Yeah, I wonder. Ugh. Yeah. Oh God, I need to talk to them about it. Yeah, <laughs> they'll be fine. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're gonna wrap that up there. We're we're running out of time for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd like to thank uh, the podcast festival for having us on, and our lovely live studio audience we have here as well. Hey. And yeah, like Daniel said at the beginning of the show, check us out at uh, Science Fears on Twitter, 
uh, Instagram and Facebook. And uh, yeah, in, enjoy the rest of their shows. Check us out. More, more of our shows is episode Abs- seven ab- now. Yes, lots of fun stuff. And uh, for for those listening, uh, where can we find out more about Andrew and Geeks vs. Nerds? Uh, GeeksVsNerds.com will have... That's the easiest way. It'll have all our stuff and all our social media links on it. Uh, when is this podcast coming out? Because I'll plug the because the Christmas show will be long over if it's coming out in months. Yes, it it's coming out. This one will be even though we're recording this in November, it's coming out January first. Oh, perfect. Uh, so on the last second last Saturday of January, it'll be Aragorn versus Black Panther for who's the greatest warrior king, and Black uh, Panther Beatrix Kiddo, the bride. Versus John Wick, who's a better hire for an assassin? John Wick. Great plug for an episode about crime. (laughs) And and Elizabeth, where where can our live audience and our listeners, when they're here in Vancouver, where can they find out more about the Vancouver Police Museum? Yeah, so we invite everyone everyone to go out to our website. It's vancouverpolicemuseum.ca. We also have a Facebook page, Vancouver Police Museum. If you Google Vancouver Police, we're the first things that pop up. So if you're looking for the police force, scroll down and then call. (laughs) Um, Just FYI. Um, Or... Someone stole my bag. <laughs> we uh, get so museum. many of those, actually. <laughs> wow. um, but in the other ways is just come and visit us. Uh, we are open 9 to 5, uh, Tuesdays through Saturdays, and it's uh, admission's pretty low. It's $12 for adults and 10 for down as you That's go. That's great. So there you Lots go. Lots of fun stuff. Uh, I'll also just say it's Geeks versus V-E-R-S-U-S, not V-S nerds. <laughs> and it's January 19th is the date. I just looked it up. Perfect. Great. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks again, Jeff. Always a pleasure to co-host this podcast with you. It's an honor to be a part of the Vancouver Podcast Festival. Yeah, uh, as always. And until the next time that we see all of you, please keep on listening. Please keep on learning and have yourselves a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks.